Hey guys, Mr. Harmon here. It is Monday, April 27th, 2020. This is U.S. History Notes for Chapter 26, Late 90s, Early 2000s, Section 1, The Power of Terrorism. Just as a reminder, the notes will be on Moodle today under the notes section as well as the recording. Furthermore, there is a Zoom check-in this morning, there is a current event assignment, and you need to make sure to check in with your attendance as well. Alright, let's go ahead and get to it. So what we're looking at here is one giant section called Terrorism Affects Change. Um, generally speaking, what I want to do here is give you a base description of what terrorism is, and then we're going to look at nine different examples of terrorism in the late 90s going into the early 2000s, um, ending with 9-11 kind of being like the big cataclysmic issue that pulls everything together, kind of, um, and ultimately leads us into other things, uh, in particular the Iraq and the Afghan wars, uh, in reverse order there, the, the Afghan, then the Iraq war. So anywho, um, the first thing I want to do is give you a base description of what terrorism is. Um, terrorism, generally speaking, is the systemic use of terror, usually violent, but not always, used as a means of coercion, force, or persuasion to try and get some sort of a reaction for change out of another person, another group, or another country. Generally... More basic than that, what we would say is this is a smaller, weaker group, country, or person trying to elicit a reaction out of a bigger or larger or more powerful group, country, or person. So this would be like the country of um, Laos trying to get a reaction out of China, or Iraq trying to get a reaction out of the US, or uh, Uruguay trying to get a reaction out of Brazil. It's smaller groups trying to get a reaction out of bigger groups through violence, through terror, through fear. Now this will become very common in the 1990s, especially, because this is a way for a lot of these smaller groups to finally get attention on the world stage, to finally get their message out on the world stage, which has not been an, uh, like a thing for them to be able to do before this. So like I said earlier, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at nine major events of terrorism, um, and we're gonna look at different versions. So there are social versions, there are political versions, and there are economic versions of terrorism. And I'll try and highlight what those are in, in each of these nine cases. Um, so with that, let's go ahead and get into these cases. first case we're looking at is the Los Angeles riots of 1992. Now this fits into our little box of what terrorism is in the sense that it is kind of economic and social terrorism, not so much political terrorism, but we'll kind of explain how that fits momentarily here. First thing we need though is a little bit of background information. On March the 3rd, 1991, Rodney King, an African-American man, was stopped by the California Highway Patrol and the LA Police Department for first of all speeding and then second of all fleeing the police. When they do eventually stop the car, two African-American men that are with King will be arrested without any sort of resistance whatsoever at all. King, however, though, will put up a fight with the police. Violently, he is dealt with. Now, I want you to understand a couple things here. After they start to figure out the situation as it's unfolding, they will realize that King 
was on something, whether that be some sort of drugs, whether that be alcohol, um, he's not mentally clear when he's being pulled over, when he's being taken in. Hence the resistance. That being said, the level of violence by the police will exceed what is necessary for the given case. So what will happen here is you have King resisting somewhat to the police. The police will react by beating him with batons. Once they get him down to the ground, kicking him in the face, tasing him, and then finally handcuffing him. It gets to the point where it is violence beyond the means of necessity. Where this becomes nationwide news, or at least local news and then nationwide news, is this gets recorded by somebody passing by, and this gets out to the media. And this is going to be a key thing to terrorism, is getting media involvement. And so as the media is feeding into this, it's, oh my gosh, the LA Police Department is violent. Oh my gosh, the California Highway Patrol is violent. Why are these police departments violent to black men? That's what starts to get attention. So the whole thing eventually goes really big in public um, one year later, in April 1992. And why it goes so big in public then is that's when they're holding the trials against um, Rodney King first and then the four police officers after that for use of excessive violence and use of deadly force. Eventually what will happen on April 29th, 1992, which is actually a Sublime song if any of you are Sublime fans, um, April 29th, 1992, four LAPD officers will ultimately be pardoned of excessive violence and use of deadly force. And in reaction to that, we have the economic and social terrorism. Riots will start in the streets of LA, and riots will spread through several cities across the US against police violence. Now, let's fast forward almost 25, 26 years. We'll have almost an identical case to this in St. Louis, and I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with that story. We might talk about that when we get a little bit further down the road, but understand the similarities between the two. That'd be the Michael Brown uh, situation. So anywho, April 29th, 1992, riots will break out in LA. Eventually, the US government will call in uh, the army and Marines to shut down the riots after six days. However, 53 more people will have been killed by the end of this. Millions in damages will have been done. Now, how this fits is our version of terrorism. A smaller group of people, now I'm not just talking African Americans because this will be African Americans, Asian Americans, there will be Native Americans, hell, European Americans will be involved as well. Lower class groups of people will protest against the fact that police violence happened to elicit a reaction out of the government. And that's ultimately what we will have here. Government will eventually react with the Army and the Marines, but they also go a step further to react with four things. First of all, they're going to retry the four officers in this case. Second of all, the LA Police Department chief will be forced to resign. Now, they don't call it a forced resign, but that's what it is. Third, more minorities will be added to the LA Police Department, and they're going to try and start to do a one-for-one -one situation. For every one white police officer that's on a uh, call, they're going to have one minority officer that's with that white police officer so that there's less chance of it being white versus any other minority group in a police encounter. And fourth and finally, we're going to see two of the officers that were involved are going to be acquitted because they can't be proven to have been excessively violent or uh, uh, um, used excessive force. Um, and then 
second of all to that one, two of the officers are going to get jail time for the incidents. And so justice does come out, but it comes out in the form of terrorism. And now understand it's not terrorism like you're thinking, oh, it's outside powers coming in and destroying our country. No, this is localized terrorism in the US. And it technically fits as a smaller group using violence, using fear to get a reaction from a larger group. And so technically it does fit our happy little example here. The second major case that we have is the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. So this begins on February 26, 1993 with two guys, Ramsi Youssef and Iyad Ishmur. Um, so what's going to happen is these two guys have this plan, and it's, we're going to see this plan play out later on in history as well. But they have this plan that they are going to basically blow up one of the World Trade Center towers, and they're going to hope that if they blow it up in the right location, it will fall into the second World Trade Center tower, effectively taking out the, the World Trade Center towers. Um, so the idea here is they were going to drive a truck bomb into the garage of the South World Trade Center tower. They're hoping that if they blow up the garage, it will take down the entire South Tower. It will turn into toppling the North Tower. And again, as I said earlier, it's gonna take down both towers. That's the thought process. Um, eventually what they're uh, pushing for here is political terrorism. Um, so they're doing this because uh, they are from Saudi Arabia and they want the US to leave Saudi Arabia. They want the US to leave Israel. Um, and so this is a political protest versus the US. Um, when they do set the bomb off in the garage, um, it does damage, it does kill uh, five people. I'm sorry, six people, uh, it wounds thousands However, it didn't pack the punch to really destroy the garage, nor to destroy the tower, nor to take out the other tower. Um, the big picture to take away from the World Trade Center bombing in 1993 is that the U.S. is potentially vulnerable to attacks like this. These are just two random guys, and they got to potentially one of the most important economic um, ventures or buildings in our country and, and had a chance to blow it up. Um, again, this would fit our political version of terrorism. Smaller outside, two people trying to take down the U.S. economy or U.S. government and trying to get the U.S. to leave the Middle East. The third case we have is the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing. This takes place on April 19, 1995, again by two guys, Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols. Their idea here was they are going to try and punish the U.S. government for what the U.S. government has been involved with in two incidents, the Ruby Ridge incident and the Waco siege incident. To explain those to you very briefly and really quickly here, the Ruby Ridge incident was a situation where a group of Americans living on a farm near Ruby Ridge in, I believe it was Wyoming, um, had just an obscene amount of guns uh, and seemed potentially dangerous. So the ATF, the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms uh, branch of our government decided they were going to move in and try and stop this family from owning all these guns. Uh, a a gunfight ensued between the family and the government. The government eventually killed the family. Um, and Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols took that as they're violating our Second Amendment right. 
Similar situation will happen at the Waco siege. Um, a group of, I believe it was Branch Davidians, um, a specific religious sect, um, was forming like their own cult in Waco. And the U.S. government was a little bit weary about what they were doing, so the U.S. government tried to like stop it. A gun uh, battle ensued, and all the people at Waco eventually were killed. Not by the government, um, but by taking um, like a poison in the form of like a Kool-Aid. So if you ever hear like a Kool-Aid cult situation, um, that's the group at Waco. Um, and again, this came up for Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols as they were doing nothing wrong. This was their religion um, and the government came in and stopped them. So um, Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols are trying to punish the government for not following the Constitution. That's their belief. So what they do is they plan to get a rider van, which is kind of like one of those large windowless vans, um, sometimes terribly called a rape van. Um, they're going to get one of those large vans and they're going to fill it with C4 explosives. They then plan to park it in front of the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City and then blow up the Federal Building in Oklahoma City. They eventually do set off the bomb. It kills 150 people. It will do $652 million in damages, and it will send a message to the U.S. government. If you mess with the American people, this is what we will do to you. The bigger picture is that it, it shows Americans, holy cow, we are just as dangerous here. We're just as dangerous here as outsiders coming into this country. So not only can you not trust outsiders potentially, but you can't trust Americans in this country because these weren't two random outsiders. These were Americans blowing up other Americans. Again, this kind of fits as social, if not a little bit political terrorism, um, where you're trying to have these two guys punish the U.S. government for acting out. Fourth big case that we have is the Cobar Tower bombings in 1996. Um, what's going on here is in uh, or on June 25th, 1996, Al-Qaeda or possibly Hezbollah, we're not sure which group it was, um, Al-Qaeda being from Afghanistan or Iraq, Hezbollah being from Palestine or Jordan, um, will drive a truck bomb into the uh, gates of and eventually the towers of uh, Kobar, um, the Kobar Towers uh, in Saudi Arabia. Um, why they specifically target this location is this was the hotel where U.S. soldiers were staying in Saudi Arabia. And they're doing this as a political protest to get the U.S. out of Saudi Arabia and Israel. If you're keeping score, this is the second major terrorist attack against the U.S. Uh, to try and get the U.S. out of Saudi Arabia and Israel. Um, they ultimately will kill 19 Americans. They will wound 498 other Americans. They will kill hundreds of Saudis, and they will wound thousands of other Saudis in this bombing. Um, ultimately, the U.S. still stays in Saudi Arabia and Israel. Um, so again, this would be a form of political protest or political terrorism versus the U.S. Fifth major case that we have is the 1996 Centennial Olympics Park bombing. Now this is an interesting one because this again gets us to focus back on Americans themselves and not outsiders. So at the 1996 Summer Olympics in Atlanta, Georgia, on Jan July 27, 1996, an American named Eric Robert Rudolph will detonate a pipe bomb in a backpack that is surrounded by nails. So you've got the pipe bomb, the nails around it all in a backpack so it's concealed, meaning that he carries it right out into public. He walks into a public concert at Centennial Park in Olympic Village, sets the backpack down, and then walks away from it, then detonating it. So he's not near it, and we don't know who did it originally. And there will be a whole manhunt trying to find him and trying to figure out who did this. Anyway, long story short, 
Why he's doing this is he's doing it eventually, he claims, to protest the U.S. government stance on abortion and to protest the power of the U.S. government. So very similar to like Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols, um, but we think that Eric Robert Rudolph was maybe a little bit on the crazier side. Um, long story short, when this does eventually detonate, it will kill one woman. Um, and technically it kills a man, um, but the man was not actually at the scene where the bomb went off. The man was in an ambulance driving to the scene and had a heart attack while he was in the ambulance driving to the scene. Uh, he wasn't driving, he was in the back. Um, so technically the bomb did kill two people even though it only hit one, um, but it again brings up this issue of fear of ourselves, fear of Americans. It also brings up a secondary issue, which I would say is just as important, which is that we now have a healthy fear of large crowd gatherings at public events, in particular like sporting events. And so now when you go to a Cardinals game or you go to a Blues game, you're walking through security, you're walking through a metal detector. And whether you know it or not, more often than not, there are firemen and there are policemen that are walking around stadiums at Bush Stadium, at, um, I can't think of what the Blue Stadium is off the top of my head, um, but walking around those stadiums with bomb detecting devices and radiation detecting devices, trying to make sure that there isn't anybody walking around with a bomb of some sort. Sixth big one that we have is the 1998 U.S. Embassy bombings. Um, so it's going to happen here on August 7, 1998. Uh, this is where Osama bin Laden really comes uh, comes into the know. Um, so Osama bin Laden and his uh, partner in crime here, Ayman al-Zawahin, um, will detonate um, a few different truck bombs at U.S. embassies, both in Kenya and in Tanzania. Um, we believe Al-Qaeda was tied to this as well, which is Osama bin Laden's kind of terrorist organization. Um, so they're going to do this for uh, political protest or political terrorism, where they're trying to protest the U.S. being in Saudi Arabia and Israel. So this is the third time we've seen this now. And they will ultimately kill hundreds um, at the embassies. They will wound thousands. And ultimately, this is when bin Laden gets onto the, U most, uh, the U.S. most wanted list. This is also when we really begin the Al-Qaeda hunt um, in Tanzania, in Kenya, in Sudan, in Iraq, in um, Afghanistan. This is really when we're going to start to do the overhaul in hunting for Al-Qaeda, which leads to several issues of tension. Seventh big one that we have here, and this is a huge one for um, uh, future generations, is the 1999 Columbine shooting. Um, so on April 20th, 1999, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold two senior students at Columbine High School in Columbine, Colorado, will walk into the school with multiple guns. They will shoot and kill 12 students and one teacher. They will wound 21 others, and then they will commit suicide themselves. Now, while all of that is sad, the bigger issue is that this fits social terrorism in the sense that these are two high school students, just two students, that are going to get a huge reaction from both the media, the government, and to an extent, the whole US public. They're going to ultimately trigger four issues to be brought up in public discussion. First of all is going to be bullying. Were these two bullied and did that lead them to this reaction? Second of all, it brings up an issue of gun control. How the hell did two senior high school students get this many guns, this much ammunition, and get into the school to be able to do this? 
Third, it's gonna bring an issue up of abuse in teens. Now, I don't mean physical abuse, I mean drug and alcohol abuse. A big thing that's gonna come out in the government and the media is, did these two use marijuana? Did these two drink alcohol? Did these two use other drugs? And is that what drove them to the point of bringing guns into the school and shooting people? Fourth, and to me this is nonsensical, but it becomes a big issue of debate, is is this a case of media violence? And I don't mean seeing violence in the news, I mean did these kids play violent video games and then is that what caused them to do this? Did they play Grand Theft Auto? Did they play um, uh, Duke Nukem? I don't even know if you guys know what Duke Nukem is. Did they play violent video games where they were trained how to shoot guns, how to reload guns, and that trained them exactly how to do this type of mass shooting? The bigger thing to think about here though is what's gonna be the ultimate reaction? What's going to be done to make schools safer? And after Columbine, you really don't see much. We're going to see at least at least another 20 major shootings before we get any sort of reaction. The first major reaction you have to school shooting is gonna be Sandy Hook. And we'll talk about Sandy Hook shooting at a later date. Eighth big case that we have here is Y2K. And of everything we've talked about, this is by and far the dumbest. Um, however, this is a form of social and to an extent economic terrorism. Um, so before the year 2000, so late 1999, public mass media is going to start pushing this message that, oh my goodness, all the computers might possibly crash. The reason they might possibly crash is all computers in the world are set up on a dating system that has the year set for two digits. So what I mean by that is we're in the year 2020 right now, but they're suggesting that all computers only count the last two digits of 2020. So they're only counting uh, 20 as the year date. And so we were in 1999, meaning that all of the computers were set to 99. So when they would try and go from 99 to 00, zero that would would not make sense logistically for the computers to be able to do that. They would want to go from 99 to 100. However, there weren't three spots in the dates to switch to. There were only two. And so computers wouldn't be able to figure out going from 99 to 00. And the thought process was that this would cause all computers to crash, meaning that we would essentially go back to like the Stone Age. We would lose all electricity, all computers would shut down, the grid would come down. When the media started mass reporting this, it caused hysteria across the world. And you saw terrorism really coming into play here, where the media, a small group, gets the whole world to react, where people start panic buying goods. People start prepping for the end of the world. And literally, you had people building like bomb shelter type preparations for what's gonna happen once the electricity is gone. Ultimately went from 1999 to 2000, we have no blackouts, everything transitions perfectly, and people are like, oh my gosh, this was nonsense. However, it does fit our form of terrorism. Smaller group getting larger group to react. Finally, the last one we have here, and we're just gonna talk about it in a small example today, because we'll look at it in a bigger example in a couple days here, is the 9-11 attack. So in September 11, 2001, Osama bin Laden, who was with the terrorist organization Al-Qaeda, which is supported by Saddam Hussein economically, will hijack four planes in the United States with the goal of hitting three locations in the US. One of the planes will crash before it hits its target, which we think was maybe uh, the capital 
um, whether that be um, the White House or whether that be the Capitol building, we're not sure, but somewhere in the Capitol. Um, two of the planes will hit the two World Trade Center towers and the fourth plane will hit the Pentagon. Ultimately, um, this attack is done to protest the U.S. involvement in Saudi Arabia and Israel. So that's the fourth time we've had terrorism now in about 10 years um, trying to get the U.S. out of Saudi Arabia and Israel. Um, they will do this to uh, kind of punish the U.S. for our actions in Iraq um, recently with Clinton, for our actions with uh, shutting down Iraq in Kuwait under Bush uh, senior and for our actions with the U.S. in Afghanistan and Sudan under Clinton. Ultimately, they will kill right around a thousand Americans in these attacks. Um, it shows that the U.S. is potentially vulnerable to these types of attacks, and eventually you have a U.S. reaction of major increased security in airports. And ultimately, it leads to the U.S. reactions of the Afghan war first in 2001, and then the Iraq war in 2003, trying to find out who did this and trying to punish whoever did this. Ultimately, the important thing to take away from 9-11 is that the U.S. is vulnerable to these types of attacks. These were small groups of people that got huge reactions from our government, which we will talk more about at later points. Anywho, the big overall picture that we're looking at here is that terrorism, while scary, while awful, does work rather effectively. Smaller groups are able to get reactions out of our government, out of our nation by doing seemingly cheap, easy attacks, but that definitely get a message across. And with that, understand that this is a problem we're still dealing with today. However, that is one of the best ways for a lot of these groups to get the attention of the U.S. government, of the U.S. public, of the world public, and to get their message out there. And that's why you still see these being used so often today. That's where we're going to go ahead and close it out for the day. As a reminder, this was U.S. History Notes for Monday, April 27th, 2020. This was Chapter 26, Late 90s, Early 2000s, Section 1, The Power of Terrorism. Um, for the rest of this chapter, we are going to look at several things that are involved with Bush, um, Bush Jr., I should say. Um, so we will look at uh, kind of what he's doing domestically and uh, in foreign policy. We're really going to focus on the Afghan and the Iraq war because that's what takes up a large part of his uh, presidency. Um, and we're going to kind of look at some economic issues that he's going to struggle with as well um, with the Great Recession and the housing market collapse. Um, again, just as a reminder, the notes will be online on Moodle as well as this recording. You guys have a current event assignment that uh, is going to be due today. Uh, there is an attendance check-in that needs to be done, and we are going to have a Zoom meeting very briefly. Um, with that, guys, have a good day. Stay safe. Stay clean. Um, as states will start to reopen in the next week or so, uh, please be smart about what you're doing. If you're going out, wear a mask. Make sure you wash your hands. Um, keep your social distancing. All right, guys, have a good one. Take care. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.